It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Uh, I'm really excited to, uh, to, to be here with you to talk to you this morning and about the topic that we're going to talk about this morning because I think it is one, I am, I am confident it's one, and I am faithful that it is one that is very relevant to us this morning. So if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles out uh, and, and open them up, and we're going to read in just a moment to a passage in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 that I, I think is something that we, we could stand to, to hear, stand to uh, pay attention to, uh, and also will provide us with a great source of comfort as we move forward uh, over the coming years. Now, as congregations grow, and as we have, have seen um, very evident in the last uh, couple of years, we have, we have seen growth, we have, we have seen some move away, but we have seen a, a, a constant uh, moving towards, towards growing here at Lake Street. But as this happens, one thing that you can, you can be certain about, one thing that you can be confident in, is that challenges are going to grow with the congregation. The devil loves to hinder the work of God's people. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul says this. He says that he wanted to come see them. He himself, I wanted to come to you at, Thessal at Thessalonica, but Satan has hindered me. That's something that Satan loves to do, is to try and hinder the work that is going on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul again points uh, to, to Satan and to his attempts to hinder. And he points back to the Garden of Eden there when he talks about how Eve was deceived by Satan, by the serpent. Um, and what we need to notice from that is that whenever Satan is trying to hinder us, it's not always going to be accompanied with a great big sign that says, I'm Satan and I'm here to hinder you. There are going to be times when he tricks us and when he is, he is a very deceitful being. And so we need to be aware of things that might seem simple, things that might seem uh, harmless, but cause us to divert our attention away from the work that we are called to do because that's the way the, the devil leads us astray. So then we come to Revelation chapter 3. What must we be doing then? Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Christ, speaking to the church in Philadelphia, says, I am coming quickly. So what do you do? Hold fast. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. We, as the Lake Street Church of Christ, need to hold fast. We need to hold fast and know that whenever the, the, the devil throws our way, we have a crown waiting for us in heaven. So we will accept the challenges that are placed before us. We will accept the, the, the trials that, that might come and that are placed by the devil, knowing that our efforts, our work, our labor, if we are steadfast, is not for naught. Second Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 58 tells us that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So this morning, as we study this, I hope that we will consider this holding fast through some of the challenges that are often accompanied when a congregation begins to, to grow. When a congregation begins to work in the way that God has called for them to work, which I believe, as the Lake Street Church of Christ, we are doing, we need to remember that there will be challenges that come and we can be prepared to hold fast to God during those challenges. Now, one way that we do that is by remembering what our work actually is. In, over in Ephesians chapter 4, turn there with me. 
Ephesians chapter 4, we get a reminder of one of the works given to the church. Ephesians chapter 4, read verses 11 and 12 with me. Ephesians 4, 11 says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. We are to equip the saints. That is, that is those who have been saved, those who are, are members of the Lord's body. We are to be equipping them for spiritual growth of each and every member. Now notice the focus of this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. When we read these things, yes, he says that he, give, that he has given these, um, these different, uh, if you want to say offices, they're not necessarily offices, but if you want to, he has given these, these people who are, are specific in their, in their functions. Some of them are, were specific to the early stage of the church. The apostles, the prophets, they were very specific to the beginnings of the church. But today we still have some of these, um, some of these uh, things given. We still have evangelists. We still have need for, for those to go and to take the message to the lost and to take a message, as we're reading about right now, of edification to the congregation. We still have a need for pastors. That is those who oversee, uh, those who are elders, those who are bishops, those who are watching over the local congregation uh, and, and tending to their spiritual needs. And then we also have a need for those who will teach. But notice the focus of the passage is seen in, chapter, in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Notice it did not say for the building up of yourself. There are so many times when, when it is said that, or, or maybe we read this and we think that I'm not getting what I need. I'm not being built up. Uh, sometimes you might hear someone say, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else because we're, over there the grass is going to be greener. And that's, that's where I want to go to get what I need right now. And to, our, to, to a certain extent, that seems like it makes a lot of sense. But that's the opposite of what this passage is talking about. Paul is saying this with a reflection of the greatest and the second greatest commandments in mind. We remember those over in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus was asked, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. When, he, when, when, when Paul writes this to the Ephesians, we must read that with that great command in mind. Because one, we have to love the Lord your God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And Paul is stating that it has been provided for us that we might build up the body of Christ. Not build up ourselves, but build up the body of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So that is, that is the first part of the focus of this, that it is not a building up of a certain individual. It is a building up of Christ's body. Love the Lord with all your heart. But the second part of that command uh, is to love your neighbor as yourself. When we leave a service, and whenever we leave that service and we're saying to ourselves, you know what, and I, you know, maybe this is a common uh, thing, I, I don't know, I hope not, but you know what, I, that sermon just didn't give me anything today. I didn't get anything out of that sermon. That was just a waste of time. I don't think, I don't think he even prepared. I just think he got up there and winged it. 
or we leave a service and we say, you know what, the, the, the Bible class today, it was just, it was terrible. It, it didn't provide me anything. The singing didn't uplift me. The prayers, they, they just, I just didn't get anything out of that service today. If we ever leave a, car, a, a worship service and we have that sort of attitude, then we are focusing on the building up of self. We're focusing on what did I get out of that? What does this do for me? What can I get instead of what can I do to grow the body of Christ? And who is that body of Christ? That are all those, those saints that we talked about at the beginning of the verse. Those who have been saved. Those who have been added to his number by the Lord. But you know, we still have a very real sense of a need to be fed ourselves. There isn't, uh, there isn't anything inherently wrong with the saying, I need to be built up too. Even though our focus should be, what can I do to build up the body? What can I do to build up my brothers and sisters? I still need a little bit of building too. Well, how do I handle that? How, how do we approach that in a scriptural way? Well, the fact is, Paul isn't done talking here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 isn't where it ends. So let's read on down a little bit, starting in verse 15. He says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fit and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body. For the building up of itself in love. So what is that telling us? Paul said, yeah, I know you need to be built up. But the way you do that is by building up the whole. Whenever I come to a congregation, whenever I come to a service, whenever I come to, to my, my brothers and sisters and I say, I need to help build them up. That makes them a little bit stronger to help build me up. We see that it's, it's, God has designed the church to work in such a way that it is, it is reliant on each and every part. And that means we can never look at a certain part of the body. We can never look at a member and say, you know what, that one right there, that's, they're just not needed. There's nothing about that one that we could, we could, lose, we could cull the herd a little bit. We could uh, allow that one to go on and we'll be fine. No, we cannot. We can never look at it that way because it's each and every part, every joint supplies that which is that which is needed for the body to work proper, for the body to work uh, as a whole. And so we need to quit focusing on ourselves. We need to, if we want to make sure that we meet the challenges that will arise as we grow, we need to not look inwardly. We need to realize that we will be our very best when we are looking outwardly, when we are looking to, to, to build up and to grow the body as a whole. And when that starts happening, we'll see that we're going to start growing individually as well. And that's why we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, that's why we read to be gathered together. Not to, we are to gather together to provoke one another, to stir up one another, to prod one another along to these good works, to this building up of the whole. That's why we're not to forsake the assembly, not so we can punch our time card, say, yep, I was there, I'm good, I'm, 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 I'm good for the week. I'm better than all these other people because I went to church. No, we are to gather together, as Hebrews 10 says. We are to, to not forsake that assembly, not neglect that assembly, because we are there to build the body up. We are there to stir up one another. We're there to cause one another to say, I need to do more 
to help this thing work, to help this thing grow, to help make this thing strong. I need to do my part, and I can't do that if I'm not there. So is each one of us doing what we can do to help other Christians to grow? But along with edification, that's, that's what we see in, the, in Ephesians chapter 4. We see that we are to be edifying. We are to be building up. Along with building up the church, we are also to be bringing the, the gospel of Christ and sounding it out to the world. That is evangelism. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians says in verse 8, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia, that's where Thessalonica was, up there in Macedonia, but not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every part, uh, or in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. What Paul is saying here is kind of like me saying, you know what, you've taken, you've taken the word not, over, not just over central Kentucky here and, and even over into western Kentucky. I mean, Achaia was almost 100 miles away from, from Thessalonica. This is a long distance. They, they've, they've spread the word of a vast area. It's like saying everywhere you go, every time you're on vacation, every time you, you spread out anywhere, you take the gospel of Christ with you to every place that you visit. You see, through individual and collective efforts, we must sow the seed. Now, when we think of seed sowing, I bet most of you all immediately, whether in your mind or in your Bibles, immediately think to turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, whether, whether or not knowing the, the passage or not, you probably think of the parable. In Matthew 13, we have the parable of the sower. And whenever, whenever we think of seed sowing, I think it's just probably for, for a lot of us just been bred into us. That when we think of seed sowing, we think of that parable Jesus told about a sower and about uh, what that meant. And lots of times we, we start making applications off this parable. And we say, you know what? The seed sower looks a lot like a farmer. I've even preached sermons like that. We know what farmers do. Farmers, they prepare the soil. They pay very close attention to the, the type of soil that they're going to put that seed in. And if there's rocks in it, they, they kind of kick the rocks out of the way. And they, they till that soil up and they loosen it up and they make it where it's going to be good to plant seed in. And then they pay very close attention to that seed. And, and, and when, even while it's a young plant that's beginning to sprout, sprout up, they, they, don't, they don't just ignore it. They take close attention. But read with me Matthew chapter 13. All those points, I think, are very valid points and, and teach a good lesson. But let's read Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. It says, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to seed, uh, excuse me, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, but because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, if we saw a farmer doing what is talked about in this parable, if we saw a farmer sowing seed the way this seed sower sows in this parable, you know what we'd say about that farmer? 
We'd say that farmer is, is ludicrous. That farmer is crazy. He doesn't know what he's doing. He has no idea. You don't sow seed in the rocky ground. You don't sow seed in the thorns. You don't put it out here where the birds are going to get it. You don't do things like that. And unfortunately, all too often, we sow the gospel of Christ that same way. So you don't put it in those places. You don't do it. You don't, you don't put it there. You don't, you don't treat it that way. You, you, you're very, very meticulous and careful, and, and that's not... That is not what the seed sower did. He spread that seed everywhere. Now, maybe sometimes we say it like this. Well, whenever, whenever nothing else is, is in the way, you know, well, whenever my, my, my kid's soccer game or some sort of sports thing is not in the way, I'm going to take some time to sow that seed. Whenever, whenever I, 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 I don't have, I, you know, I've been working so hard and I got a, a little bit of free time this weekend and I just really want to enjoy that with the family. So when, whenever I, I get that out of the way, then I'm going to sow some seed. Remember we say, you know, when, whenever I find a person that I know that seed's going to sprout up in, you know, kind of a softball pitch. Well, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that real easy pitch, Lord. Then I'm going to sow some seed. I'm going to sow seed on ground that I deem as good. You know, we need to be crazy farmers. We need to sow that seed anywhere and everywhere and at every possible opportunity that we get. We need to ask ourselves, is each of us doing what we can to spread the gospel of Christ? So there's two of the things that we need to remember. We need to remember our work. Our work is to edify, to build up this body. Our work is to take the gospel of Christ and to spread it to the world and tell everyone that will listen to us about the gospel of Christ. Number three, our work is to provide for those needy saints, those who are, who are uh, in, in some form of needing benevolence. Uh, and I, I think that's a word that sometimes we use and, and we don't really even think about what it means. We just know that that's the word that's been tied to it. That benevolence, it, 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 indicates, it indicates a love. It indicates a compassion for those who are in need. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we read there a passage we oftentimes quote before the, the offering, saying, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. If there, is, if there is a need locally, if there is a saint that is, that is in some way needing care for, are we, are we going to be the type of people that arise to that need, that reach out and, and, and go to help? And that's, not always, that's not always just writing a check and passing a check out. Sometimes that's showing up with, with capable hands and saying, I'm here to work, I'm here to help. But were we showing love to those needy saints? But sometimes that need is not locally. There might be needy saints in other places, other people that we know. Sometimes the work of spreading the gospel in other places requires the help of congregations. Paul certainly dealt with that in many times. Whenever he would go somewhere specifically, when he went to these Corinthians, he said, I didn't take money from you. I waited till money was brought to me. In fact, he worked as a tent maker in that city. Until, until uh, his, his friends arrived, and all of a sudden when his friends arrived, it's, he's devoting all his time to the Word. What happened? Well, it's very likely his friends brought funds from where they came from. 
Because that's what, that's, that's what God has set the church up to do. That's the work of the church. And we think of it in that sense. What is the church to be doing? The church is to be building itself up. It is to be lifting up the members thereof. It is to be taking the gospel of Christ and sending it out to the world and, and telling as many people as it can about what Christ has done, about his life and his death. And it is to be providing for the needs of those members of the church, those members who are saved, the saints. You see, the work of the local church, it goes far beyond just providing a place for, for, for a congregation to worship. The work of the church is more than just, just making sure the, the walls are painted and, and the carpet is the correct color. And we need to remember what the work of the church is, especially if we, as we grow. And as challenges come our way, we must not take our eyes off of what God has set before us to do. Build up. Preach the word. Take care of the needy saints. But we also must accept another challenge that will come our way. And that is we must be willing to live above the pettiness. Notice over in Philippians chapter 4. We might think to ourselves, pettiness. I, I, I see every now and then pettiness going on. Uh, the silly arguments and people are fighting about things. And we think, well, why on earth are, are they fighting about this? And this, this must be something that is just... I, I, I wish I was back in the day when these things didn't exist. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's not, that's not the case. Over in Philippians chapter 4, read with me verses 2 and 3. Paul says, I urge, and I'm going to say their names wrong, uh, Eodia, and I urge Sintic uh, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What happened between these two ladies? We don't know. We're not told. But one thing we can know, we can know is that they are told, Paul tells them, be of one mind. Live in harmony in the Lord. And what does that mean? That means they were not of one mind. They were not living in harmony of the Lord. Something had happened and it had caused a division among them. And Paul said, no, you all be of one mind. Churches can lose sight of their primary purpose. And when that happens, they are ripe for being torn apart by selfishness. They are ripe for having problems sink in because of gossip and because of factionalism. I'm, I'm going to kind of, when, when this problem happened, I'm going to go over with, with Eodia here. I'm going to go over with Sensitic. I'm on her side. I'm on this side. And all of a sudden, we have this great division in the church. And Paul says that is not to be. That destroys the unity and that destroys the good works done by a congregation when we allow these sort of things to happen. And so how can we defeat pettiness? How can we make sure that, that we're not going to allow petty little issues to, to, to divide us? We can do that by keeping a proper sense of proportion because it has a, a, a disastrous effect on a church when, whenever brother, brother have his way or, or sister hullabaloo, whenever they start making mountains out of molehills, 
You've probably met something like that before, somebody that blows things out of proportions, somebody that, that maybe you worked with or even maybe a family member, some way that, that maybe you there's this little tiny scratch, this little tiny offense, and, and, and you know that you just, oh, i got to walk on eggshells around them because they're going to take their shovel and they're going to start throwing dirt on that little hill until next thing you know we've got a great big mound out of the smallest little problems. You see, we need to see the largeness we need to see the scope. We need to see the importance of the work that the church is to be doing. And then we need to view that in comparison to our personal problems, to, to the little things that might irk us, the little things that I'm just, I'm not a fan of that or, or, or that right there. I, I don't really care for that. We need to see those, those little things and we need to view them in the magnitude of God's commandments for the church, his marching orders for his people. And we need to see that we got to rise above these little problems. we got to rise above the pettiness to the charge that God has given us. And because every church, everywhere you go, every church is in one of three states. They are either going through problems currently, they have either just came through a problem, Number three, they're about to go back into a problem. Every church has problems. And that is because every church is made up of people and people who are imperfect at that. And so let's remember what Paul said earlier in the Philippian letter. Turn over to chapter 2. In verse 1 through 5, he says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here is if you're going to be Christians, if you're going to be Christ-like, then you need to have Christ's attitude. Certainly, when Christ saw sin, when, when Jesus came and, and he saw things that were being done against his Father's will, he was not unified with those things. But he did have a mind for unity over smaller things, over things that would have been petty in everyday life. And it's a sad thing when a congregation becomes hindered by these small little problems. But so many congregations allow that to keep them from growing. So will we accept that challenge? Never to allow pettiness, never allow these small little problems to so affect us. It is easy. It is easy to do so. But we must, make the, the, we, we must rise to that occasion. We must make a stand and we must be steadfast in that we will not allow indifferences. We will not allow personal uh, little quirks or personal issues deviate us away from the work God has called us to do. And if we can do that, then it will be easy to meet other challenges. Another challenge that we must, maintain, or must meet is the challenge to continually maintain gratitude for our blessings. We have so much to be thankful for. Richard talked about this morning at the, at the offering. He mentioned, mentioned uh, 
Brother Richardson, who, who so many times reminded us of the places he had been, the things that he had seen of people who, who did not have what we have today. As individuals, we have many physical blessings. Our families, our blessings, our friends, our homes, our health, these things are huge blessings that, that we must not take for granted. Our freedom, one that maybe we don't give enough thought to sometimes, but the freedoms that we have in this country, the jobs that we have, everything that we have is such a, a, a magnificent blessing. But we also have beyond those spiritual blessings that are just uh, simply amazing. The salvation that we have in Christ. That God would even care to take a people who had turned so far from Him and not only show an interest in them, but show a radical interest in them. So much so, John 3.16, that He loved the world that He gave His Son. It's a huge blessing. The forgiveness of sins. Our peace of mind. The strength that we gain through the Holy Spirit. Our eternal hope our hope of eternity in heaven. We have much individual uh, uh, blessings as individuals, but we also have uh, blessings as a congregation as well. We are, we are free from, from turmoil. And one of the questions that was asked us when we were in Africa and we were going to meet with the Brixton Church of Christ, the, the, the driver that was taking us there, he said, are you sure the building hasn't been burnt down? That's not a question you commonly get asked if you ask for directions to a, to a church building here in the States. You know, when you're trying to, somebody, hey, I'm, I'm coming up to visit uh, and, and I'm going to be over in, in, in Georgetown or I'm going to be in this area. Can you give me directions to the church building? You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not for sure if the building's still there. It might have got burnt down. It's not something you commonly hear. We have a freedom in this country to be able to worship God and worship Him the way He has called for us to worship Him without the fear of, of, of violence, without the fear of the government busting in and, and hauling us all off to jail. We have the freedom to be filled with love and with unity. We, we, we have been blessed with facilities. Yes, the church is not the building, but we have this blessing to, to be able to come here and worship in air conditioning. And with the last couple of days, we should be thankful for what that means to be able to worship in air conditioning. The, the signs of, of numerical growth that we have seen in the past several months, the signs of spiritual growth that we have seen over the last year, the potential for the individual and for the congregation and the work that we are called to do. These are great blessings and we must maintain an attitude of gratitude for these things. Turn over to Colossians. I want you to read and notice something with me in Colossians. Just how many times Paul exhorts, encourages the Colossians, you be thankful. In, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> Colossians 1, verse 12. <coughs> He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There's number one. He says, give thanks to the Father. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul goes on saying, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Again, he says to abound with thanksgiving in other translations. That's the second time that he's instructed them. In Colossians chapter 3. 
verse 15, he goes on to say, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then just down a few verses in 17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. He says, let the peace of God rule your hearts and be thankful, giving thanks to God. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, he goes on again. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. As individuals and as a congregation, let it never be said that we could be described as unthankful. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 tells us that's a step towards depravity. It talks about the foolishness of the heart of unthankful men. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul talks about how that is a sign of perilous times. And unthankfulness is ranked up there along with prideful blasphemers and with the unloving and the unforgiving and with the unholy. So there are many challenges that congregations may face. The persecution for the cause of Christ. The natural calamities, natural catastrophes that will devastate communities. There are tons of challenges that could be thrown at us. But in most cases, even those challenges can be met and can be overcome if we will remember these three things. What is our work? Are we being petty? Are we being thankful? If we will remember those three questions and we will answer them the way God's word answers them and instructs us to do, and we look to ourselves and say, what is the will of the Lord? If that is our desire, to fulfill that will of the Lord and have an attitude of gratitude, lifting us up above our, our, our pettiness and, and, and having a, an attitude of looking to others before looking to ourselves, then let us have the same attitude that Paul had when he, when he prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, saying to him, to God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever, amen. If we wish to glorify him, then we must overcome these challenges. And we must continue to grow closer to him. And we do that by obeying him. Again, I mentioned John 3.16. It tells us that God, out of the abundance of His love for us, sent Jesus, His only begotten Son, to provide eternal life for those who believe. But it only takes just even a casual reading to understand that the Bible quickly illustrates the fact that believing is only part of what God requires of man to receive eternal life. Jesus, in His own words in Matthew 16.16, 16, said, Believe and be baptized and you will be saved. So let me ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you believe this congregation is growing? I do. Do you believe that Satan is going to put challenges and hurdles in our way? I do. Do you believe that we can overcome them by trusting in God, by working together to grow up towards the work that he has called us to do, to grow above the the small problems that might arise, and to be thankful? I do. Let me ask you another question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to this world, that you might be free from your sins, but before then, before He came, before He shed that blood, 
there was absolutely no hope. I believe that, and I believe there's hope today. But we must do something about it. The Bible tells us over and over again that we are to turn from our sin. We are to turn from those things that separated us from God and to turn to Him, and we are to be washed. We are to be cleansed, to have our sins forgiven. How do we do that? Peter answered that question in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when he told the men, the men who had crucified, the men who had dragged the Savior to the Romans and said, kill him. And they said, what do we do? What hope is there for us? He said, repent and be baptized for so that your sins can be washed away. Your sins can be forgiven. If that is your desire this morning, or if there's some other way in which we can, we can help you spiritually, the congregation here stands ready to assist you in whatever way we can. Please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.